This episode is brought to you by Move, Meditate, Sleep, your all-in-one platform to help you move more freely, meditate more easily, and sleep more soundly, with new content added every week. If you'd like to try a free seven-day trial, click the link in the show notes. This is, I'm not big time yet, I don't have an assistant. <laughs> That's the next thing. David, how's it going? Very good. We've started. Okay. <laughs> I saw the guy uh, cutting grass next door, so maybe he can come in and do <laughs> a clap my, next door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, David, for people that don't know, aren't aware of your Instagram, of the work you do, what do you do? Good question. Um, that's the last thing Kira, my partner, who came up with me. She, she actually, we were sitting there, we were up a little bit early, and she said, what's your 30-second kind of elevator pitch and I yeah. said I'll, I'll figure that out when I'm asked that's always <laughs> the hardest part on a podcast uh, basically I help people with their movement more than anything else so I kind of I'm a rehab practitioner I suppose help people that are in pain performance issues not moving as well or feeling as good as they as they would like to um, so that kind of works in all different walks of life and everyone from Olympic athletes professional athletes from all over the world and then just kind of your granny who's in a little bit of pain and would like to be able to walk up the stairs and feel a bit better and then there's kind of our business is moving a little bit more towards I don't want it to be like justice but it's moving more towards education of like around anatomy and biomechanics and helping a lot of other physios and coaches around the world to help people just as we're helping people not like this is the way to do it but here's our opinion on things and here's how you can use some of these things to maybe incorporate into your current practices and kind of understand the principles the key principles behind good movement and how how people can adapt and get stronger and feel better so um so yeah that's kind of that's kind of in a nutshell (laughs) i guess what i do but uh, a lot of different things from looking at your work it seems like you focus more on the lower body than the upper body mm-hmm. is that accurate um yeah it probably is a little bit accurate yeah it probably is it, it on instagram certainly it kind of happened that way actually no i'll go back basically the reason i'm doing this job at the moment is because i got a lot of injuries myself playing a lot of sport but mostly lower body injuries so a lot of hip issues knee issues achilles tendon issues and um that's kind of what i was just talking about when i was kind of working on my own body and stuff like that so and then we released a lower body program that kind of exploded and got massive so that's what you'll see people talking about online more so but next thing is going to be the upper body program that's going to be coming soon so you might start to see us promoting and talking a little bit more about that but um we have we do have a massive focus on like the center of the body breathing the rib cage the pelvis and stuff like that so that's usually our start and then i just haven't promoted the upper body stuff as much yet but that will come yeah i guess um a lot of sports involve running therefore mm-hmm. the the lower body makes sense to address that because that's the foundation yeah. of the activity um you said before we hit record that you've had people come to you who are yoga teachers i'm sure students to learn about anatomy but have you had practitioners come to you and if so what have you seen as common yoga injuries yeah yeah a lot of a lot of yoga teachers one thing you'll see with, with yogis is that their feet just don't move very well at all. And that's in, in general. Now, we always need to say in general, but um, they might have like, quote unquote, strong feet in terms of, yes, they can they can stand on one leg for a little while. But strength is not defined by I'm just in one position and I can hold it. Strength is, at least at least for me, it's more of a, I can explore my, my ranges of motion in different planes of motion and display some kind of control or stability or whatever word you want to put on it in in kind of all of those positions so that's why i wouldn't consider yeah okay a powerlifter looks strong in the gym but as soon as you actually put them into a task that is not up and down in a straight line then they, they will probably struggle so it obviously is task dependent but yogis you will you will you will not tend to see the knee travel forward past the ankle a lot of the time. So mm-hmm. a lot of the poses like the you know, and I'm I like I'm definitely not an expert on yoga, so that should be straight straight out there. But the the shin will be kind of vertical almost a lot of the time, and that is a big issue because every time we walk, 
the shins should actually travel forward. So we should be getting negative and positive shin angles. And when the shin starts to travel forward with the heel on the ground and a, a tripod on the floor, then that should lead to us, our knee should naturally start to move more towards the big toe as the knee starts to travel forward. And that would be what hap- should happen in the gait cycle. Um, but in yoga, they typically don't really train that or allow that to happen. They actually kind of block that from happening a lot of the time. And they tend then typically to lose a lot of range of motion around the calcaneus, so the heel bone. It typically can't evert very well, which means it can't kind of tip into the inside. The the arches of the foot can't get a chance to lengthen. So the midfoot, if you see, so this this is a good example. Yoga love training and moving their joints okay so the yoga teachers and people who go to yoga understand the benefit of movement and getting your joints to move and they understand how kind of crappy you can feel if you just don't move very much so they understand importance of movement for mental health for keeping your joints healthy for staying strong for blood flow for all of these things but then when they talk about the feet there's there's a very defined here's the way your foot should be which doesn't really make sense considering there is 33 joints in the foot and that that's you have two feet so that's 66 joints so if you don't allow your knee to actually move more towards the big toe move more towards the little toe explore these transverse planes these the shin moves in the shin moves out the shin moves back then you're probably just moving one joint which is your ankle joint forward and back you're not letting your midfoot load very much at all mm-hmm. and if you were if i was to say to you you're going to move one joint in your spine but you're going to keep all the other joints still then you'll probably end up with a wrecked spine so it makes sense when people apply it to another part of the body, but when they deploy it to the feet, there's this kind of dogma around, no, just keep your knee in the one position. Yeah. But where you see joints, you, you should see movement. Because if our anatomy, our DNA, our biology wanted us to just have no movement at that foot then we'd have a femur there as a foot. We'd have a plank of wood that just allowed sagittal plane forward and back motion. But it doesn't. It has a midfoot with loads of joints there because we need variability. Every time we take a step, presuming it's not on the same concrete floor every single step of the day, then our foot would would be going through range of motion. Mm. So this is why you see a lot of yogis with very, very messed up feet. But they... That's, that tech typically tends to be ignored because there's sexier ranges of motion, which is like, look at, look at my toe touch or look at my forward fold, look at all my poses. But they're kind of, they're kind of defined poses where like, here's the things you should be able to do in these poses. But as soon as I take you outside of that, what, what does that look like then? That's kind of real, real world movement, not man-made positions that have been just someone has made up at some stage. I think that, When it comes to yoga poses, it's very because I, when you're a teacher, you have a you want people to come to your classes, and therefore it's much easier to entice someone with an impressive posture than it is with this is how you use your foot. And one word or one phrase I heard when I was studying biomechanics um, was function follows form. So you mentioned about all the joints in the foot. If you look at if you understand the basic anatomy of any part of the body, that will give you a clue as to what it can do and maybe what it should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, although the thing is what you do, right? And I've looked at your stuff is with in the rehab world, you are given a certain set of exercises to do. One follows the other, but they don't necessarily flow into each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a yoga class, part of it is to give people an experience for an hour. And the word flow is used a lot. Um, this is so that people can come in and essentially it's a breathing class with movement added in and the movement is to remind you to breathe Mm -hmm. Um, but what I found sometimes is that flow with all that great flow that looks really sexy really cool like almost dance like that you're you're sometimes not addressing the smaller technical things Mm -hmm. and when people have come after work they're knackered from a day, they've been listening to their boss all day and they come into a class and you start talking about the arches of the foot, Mm -hmm. you can see you're losing people. Mm -hmm. So it's a real, as a yoga teacher, it's a real 
difficult thing to thread in and to know when to do it, who to do it to, mm -hmm. and how to do it, not mm -hmm. being too technical. Mm -hmm. um, on the other parts of, of yoga, uh, and now we are generalizing here because every teacher has their own style. What about hamstrings and I'm this is a leading question slightly, but what about <laughs> I know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah my 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 path is basically feet, hamstrings, and uh wrists that's yeah. what I find particularly hamstrings and wrists get the most bother in yoga, mm -hmm. so what have you seen mm -hmm. in those areas yeah uh on the hammies i I think they're typically overstretched. Um, I think the hamstrings are, I don't, I don't like to place more importance on some muscles than others because everything is as important really and everything has its place. But when you, when you overstretch hamstrings, you run into a lot of trouble and we kind of, people will typically look at an anterior tilt of the pelvis as maybe not a so desirable thing. So my pelvis really starts to spill forward, um, and then I get like my back erectors are on all of the time, which they're kind of going to be because when the bones go into the position, the muscles are the muscles are going to be just in a leverage position to be on or not so on. So when we stretch hamstrings, overstretch hamstrings, typically the pelvis will start to spill forward like that because the hamstrings attach up there. And they have no choice but to lengthen and when so it, it becomes a very interesting conversation because yoga people love breathing mechanic love breathing they talk they understand the value of breathing and it's so important to get people breathing well it's probably the like the the number one stop for people regardless of what issues you have in your life you probably if you breathe a bit better you're probably going to feel a bit better and if you move a bit crappy if you start to breathe a bit better you're probably going to feel a bit better so it's it's a very important thing but when we stretch hamstrings, our breathing gets worse. If we understand the biomechanics of breathing, because I stretch my hamstrings, I overstretch my hamstrings, my pelvis starts to spill forward into an anterior tilt, which is just, if, if people don't understand it, it's literally the, pe the front of the pelvis just goes forward and down. And then the pelvis and the ribcage have a like direct relationship where people can even try this. If you feel like you can, you're sitting on your chair, you can lift your ribs up towards the sky then exactly what should happen at least is my pelvis spills forward. So I lift my ribs up or I lift my chest up at the front and my pelvis spills forward at the front. I let my chest drop and my pelvis will tuck under a little bit. So these have a relationship with each other. So if I stretch my hamstrings, my pelvis goes forward, my ribs come up in the air. Now all the breath starts to go forward into my belly and then this is again some yoga people might cue belly breathing all of the time but we do have a back of a rib cage too and sides of a rib cage and chest walls that need to be able to expand we don't have lungs in our belly and i do understand that the diaphragm should be able to descend and um and and, and pump up and down but all the everything shouldn't move forward in my body i do have a 300 i need to have 360 degree expansion in my rib cage mm -hmm. and when i stretch hamstrings i will compress the life out of the back of the rib cage and if people understand relaxation i hope i'm not going too fast now but you are sitting you're sitting beside me and you look quite relaxed and what way would someone sit when they're relaxed they'll be a little bit more slouched which is a good thing if I'm sitting on the television and I I'm watching the funniest show ever and I'm eating a pizza and I'm having the time of my life I'm not going to be sitting up bold upright I'm going to be a little bit more relaxed and a bit chilled whereas if you see someone who's very anxious they'll probably be bold upright and they'll look like someone shoved a stick up their ass so when I stretch hamstrings I close the back of my rib cage and now I can't relax so we have to be careful with that uh, and I'll try to, that's trying to break that down as as simply as possible really but you have to understand the biomechanics of breathing and the biomechanics of some of the things you're doing and it might lead you to saying maybe I shouldn't stretch so hamstrings so much mm. it might yeah um other one is wrists so I used to teach a lot of handstand workshops mm -hmm. and i really love doing handstands but the difficulty in this place i live now is we've had a baby and the baby has gone into the they now have a eve has a baby room where it used to be my yoga room or yeah. our, our yoga room should i say so now i only have the loft and the loft isn't 
tall enough for me to do a handstand. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to learn a talk handstand. Yeah, yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, but um, yeah, my life is tough. You can see. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I know it's a minor problem to have. But the thing is, I don't practice handstands that much anymore. Yeah. And um, I really want to. But a big thing that used to come up a lot was wrists. Yeah. Wrists. Um, firstly, and maybe I shouldn't be asking this question, but wrist to award uh, in terms of benefits of a handstand, what would you mm-hmm. say? I think I, I used to do a lot of hamstr- handstands, hamstrings, I was going to say, handstands. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I think I like uh, any of my, I, I never want to take away movement from people. I think handstands are great. They can be really fun. It can be a way of getting people out of their comfort zone and loading loading the body in a different way. So definitely. The wrist is just a tricky one. There's no easy answer for it because it's just loading an area that we don't tend to load so much. And particularly in wrist extension, which if you think about you're on your phone, your laptop, your everything in your life is pretty much wrist flexion and the fingers are being pushed into that flexion. So if you look at basic like range of motion, a lot of people don't even have access to. And me, I check mine here. I don't have 90 degrees at my wrist here. Not active extension. Yeah, active extension. I don't... I'm a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean I can't do a handstand. Like, it will adapt by me doing that, but it is putting a lot of load on the areas. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great thing that we can start to train that. The only thing I would say on the wrist is we just need to take it slow because they can get beaten up quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard once you've injured your wrist when yeah. doing yoga yeah. for it to heal because yeah. you're always on your hands, yeah. down the plank, uh, simple movements. Um, the other thing is, what you touched on there is uh, active, I would say like uh, active stretching as opposed to passive stretching. Mm-hmm. This is a, another thing that's come up as well. Like people, and I have done it myself, just get so used to teaching passive stretching because it's, it's so much easier to say, look, grab that strap, put it around mm-hmm. your foot and pull the foot towards you. Mm-hmm. Then saying, try to lift your foot without using anything. Mm-hmm. No hands, no floor, no strap. Um, but I, I feel like it's our responsibility as teachers to except there's going to be jarring moments where people are going to think, well, I don't like enjoy doing this because it's difficult and I'd rather do the thing that makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. But ultimately it's our, you know, it, we should be saying you should do this because of these reasons. And the thing about a handstand is it's almost like if your hamstrings are more open, if you can compress your hips more, your hip flexors more, if you can uh, have strong forearms and can do active extension with your wrist you can then do a handstand so it's you're giving them a kind of a reward at the end mm-hmm. that that's what that is the the you could say the uh beautiful path that sounds a bit sappy <laughs> beautiful path man <laughs> about a, a, going to i was gonna say journeying stop kev about going towards a handstand you know um so have have I missed anything else about uh, other injuries that you've seen coming from yoga to what you've seen so feet yeah. Uh, hamstrings, wrists. Um, actually, can I ask you about ankles? Because mm-hmm. we've kind of mi- skipped out on that mm-hmm. bit. You mentioned about the toe going forward of the knee. Uh, so, excuse me, the knee going forward of the ankle. <laughs> Jesus. Knee going forward of the ankle, right? Now, if you go to, I believe it's New Delhi Airport. I was in, I was in India a couple of years ago. They have a sculpture of someone doing sun salutations. Mm-hmm. And one of the poses is called Anjanasana, which is a low lunge. And the guy's knee is way past his toes, mm-hmm. way past. But I think what's happened is poses like Warrior 2, which the front leg is hip is in external rotation. In order for the knee to go forward, it tends to, uh, there's not enough external rotation. It doesn't track the big toe as it were. Mm-hmm. So I think people have heard people say, like in Warrior 2, don't bring your knee past your ankle. Mm-hmm. And then they have applied that to more... Um, uh, to, to more like forward back lunges mm-hmm. um, so my, my, my point is it, to defend the kind of uh, I suppose yoga and yoga community uh, I think knee past the ankle uh, we know it is good and it is helpful but it's just you tend to err on the side of caution because mm-hmm. when you've got 30 people in front of you just finished a day at work mm-hmm. and the, you don't know mixed level mm-hmm. it's not like you where you're basically prescribing mm-hmm. it's very specific to mm-hmm. uh, someone who's done specific movements you're teaching to the what you said gen public gen pub me what did you know you said that your phrase you said general gen pub. pop gen pop gen yeah. pop that means general population <laughs> <laughs> that's a new term i used to know. but when you're teaching to the gen pop um you 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 tend to side on the air, side, air on the side of caution because part of you 
part of you is worried that mm -hmm. someone's going to come back to you and say, I hurt this um, and therefore you, you're responsible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I've taught classes too. Like I've, I used to have a stretching and mobility class in, in the gymnastics club in Watford and some classes we had 20 or 30 people there. And I would rather... I would rather, like, if, if you're moving your body, there's this chance of injury or a chance of whatever. So that's, like, we can't, we can't really avoid that. If you're walking across the road, something might happen. But also, how, like, how are we going to, are we helping people move through the world better? Like, because if we are, our knee, are, our knee is going to go past their toe on every single step we ever take. Mm. If you walk up the stairs or down the stairs, it's going to happen. And... We're, I would say we're increasing the likelihood of someone getting injured by stopping their knee going past their toe. Partic and, and actually, there's nothing wrong with that, but particularly if we're telling people your knee shouldn't go past your toe, that's a big issue because now we're putting a, your body shouldn't do this. And that's, especially in my world, like we will see this all the time. Someone comes to me and they've had issues for with their knee for 10 years and it's because someone told them 10 years ago your knee shouldn't pa move past your ankle or your knee shouldn't move towards your big toe because that's when your foot will pronate and flatten a little bit i'm like that's the exact movement your body has been crying out for for 10 years mm -hmm. and we see this with back pain as well you you should hinge down to pick your pen off up off the floor you shouldn't actually let your back round to pick the pen up off the floor mm -hmm. like if if your back shouldn't round then it wouldn't round why does it have vertebrae exactly Many, you know. so like it's just it it's we just there's no wrong movement not like keeping your keeping your knee over your ankle is not not a wrong thing to do it's just we have to be careful with maybe what we're telling people might actually be wrong and I, i'm not saying any like there's i'm not saying yoga teachers are doing that but some and in every world like in in the gym in strength and conditioning coaches pilates teachers rehab physios yoga teachers we're all saying things at some point we might not realize we're saying it but we might be giving people we might be doing people a disservice or a disjustice by telling them your body should not do a certain thing mm. and actually we don't know the power of our words like especially when we're coming from a place of authority then people i i know this because i've done this in the past and i've been quite anal about my movement in the past and i'm like my body shouldn't do this because someone told me and i'll actually make sure I don't do that mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. And someone told me once, like belly breathing is the way to go. And I, I breathe into my belly for every breath I ever do. And my movement, I, my body basically got destroyed because someone told me belly breathing was the way to go. And mm. so, how, how so, did you fix that? <laughs> by not breathing into my, not trying to breathe into my belly anymore. It doesn't, it mm. doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. We have a rib cage that needs to pump in 360 degrees. That's, that's the biggest thing that like so so the, the the knee over the toe thing fine but just be careful especially if you're coming from a place of authority what you're telling people should and shouldn't happen maybe it's just you can just view your class as more of an exploration or here's the That's poses it. that we like to do yeah. but that doesn't mean that other things are wrong or bad That's that, a really good word exploration mm -hmm. because sometimes you want to feel like you're the authority and you especially when you first start you're kind of insecure so you want to be like i know what i'm talking about and it's this way or the highway and then you find yourself saying things like do not do this do mm -hmm. not just sometimes it's pure laziness as mm -hmm. well or you've just heard someone else say it um but instead like framing it as exploration saying what i what i tend to say is i like to do this version but you can also try this uh, and I'll tr often pick out someone in the class who's got completely different body type yeah. to me, uh, can do things that I can't do, uh, and there and ask them, is it okay if I reference you in, in certain movements? Mm -hmm. Because I think as well, you have to. Is is as you're teaching, it becomes you're, you're evolving yourself, and sometimes you have to give the students more credit that some they actually want to learn. To, mm -hmm. I like to treat it like a seventy thirty ratio. Seventy percent of the classes. We're moving. It's all Ew, stuff you're yeah. quite familiar with. Yeah. Thirty percent is new information, mm -hmm. and actually, when people leave and they realise, for example, you can overstretch your hamstrings, mm -hmm. they may have never thought of that. Mm -hmm. And if you show them some basic, um, like uh, hamstring contraction, you know, pu pull your heel towards your, come into a lunge, pull your heel towards your bum, when you're doing your hand or a strap or something, and then trying to keep it there but release your hand, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. the look you get on people's faces. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. you know it's that shock yeah but it's worth like they, you're just helping showing people things that they might struggle with or their body can't do in my experience people love that yeah that's what I'm saying you know because now, it, now they, it does humble them yeah. uh, but you want to humble your students as well yeah. because people love seeing something they, something that they might not be that good at yeah and that's that's where we learn I think so like for for me a little bit of education goes a long way because you you can have the guru culture of like always come to me and I have all the answers for you but really at the end of the day only you can feel what's happening in your body and like yeah I might be able to have words of wisdom and I should have that and I am the authority when it's my class but like we just we just do have to be careful with that I think and and try and expose to pe- stuff to people that they they might need along the way and like if they don't have to come to a class with me tomorrow they can't make it like maybe you can do a little bit of movement at home and find your own flow like someone just made it up ten thousand years ago like you know there's Mm. there is no i don't think there is any special movements that you're going to find the answer in this one pose it's just feel what feels right for your body and explore that you know and you're giving them ideas as well because um that as you said that look of surprise initially and then like oh there's actually stuff here i've never explored mm-hmm. i've never tried before and it can be what i think is the most rewarding and anyone who's listening out there as a yoga teacher and they're thinking i've taught everything there is to taught i've done every sequence yeah. there is how many times can i teach a lunge the same way forget the big poses like leg putting your leg behind your head or i don't know wrap touching your nose off your toes that <laughs> kind of thing right forget all of that even handstands can you teach basic movements mm-hmm. in a simple way mm-hmm. and that not only as a teacher will that give you loads of um material because it's endless then mm-hmm. if you just break down little things into um into small parts but also you realize that you don't have to break your neck trying to uh do stand on your head whatever mm-hmm. it is I, that's why i used to teach i used to be like right i'm gonna get into the class and do a hand and i'll be like this is what we're doing today do a pose like a handstand forearm stand and part of it was like i'm showing off for a little bit mm-hmm. so that you pay attention you're like oh wow that's cool mm-hmm. i'd like to be able I'd to, love do, to that. do that yeah right yeah. so that, i'll completely honest yeah. honest no but that's a good like yeah. there's no problem with that either. yeah and and that can be fun yeah but then uh but as a teacher then wh- what are you doing next week <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you learn a new skill yeah yeah <laughs> i mean because you, you, you want people want to feel they're progressing yeah where do you progress after a handstand yeah so therefore by breaking down the small things like the feet whatever um you can you, you you've got a lot more uh to explore yeah um generally speaking i know you work with athletes uh, and but you said you also work with gen pop mm-hmm. um what is that the most common things general population come to you with mm-hmm. in terms of ailments uh you see a lot of back stuff i i get a lot of back stuff a lot of hip stuff a lot of knees and then feet i suppose as well so th- th- those are the things typically you just see people who one can't breathe very well i think a lot of a lot of things stem from there and there's there's quite an easy way of breaking down if if i do a breathing assessment on you which also involves like you're moving your checking your internal and external rotation at your shoulders your hips your hip flexion your shoulder flexion all of these things i can pretty much figure out what part of your ribcage you can't get air into or what parts you can't compress by looking at what part of your what what way your hip can't move and so a lot of the time we're going to start with breath but the position we put them in and the part of their ribcage we're trying to compress and the parts we're trying to then open up depends on what what range of motion you're you're struggling with at your hips and when when i talk about range of motion i have to be careful and and say it's not the like so for instance i'll use this that people might help might understand a little better when you think of a four or when some people think of a forward fold they're thinking about the length of someone's hamstrings when i think of a when i look at a forward fold i'm looking at the journey to there and this is what with the pose yoga poses as well I would like maybe people to consider the journey towards them poses rather than the end pose itself. Mm. So I'm thinking about someone, I want to see someone doing a forward fold and I want to see like their chin almost dropping down to their chest. Sorry, not a forward fold, uh, uh, just pick up the pen off the floor. I don't want to see a, a hinge where your back stays dead straight because that means you're overthinking, you're getting a lot of co contractions around your spine. And you're not maybe comfortable enough to just relax and let your spine bend. So I want to see the first third of the movement, you should actually see ribcage depression. So the ribs kind of depressed down and back. 
And that's telling me, like, if you skip up that entire part of your forward bend to pick a pen up off the floor, then I'm actually thinking, okay, you actually can't get air into the, the upper third of the rib cage at the back because you actually can't get movement there. And then you'll see the second half, like, just past that, then you start to, you should start to see the middle back round, then the lower back. And you should start to see weight kind of shifting through the feet as they come for as they come up and down. So my assessment is some people might look at did you touch the floor or not? And here's your you have long or short hamstrings. That that doesn't even come into my mind. It's actually I can get someone to touch the floor in 30 seconds if I can get air into the right part of their rib cage, which gets expansion, which gets their some of their back muscles to relax and, and they can touch the floor. So the assessments, it's not about the like the total range of motion. A lot of the time it's how they got to that end position tells me so much more because I've almost assessed your entire spine, your pelvis, your rib cage, your breathing mechanics, and your foot pressures as you went down to touch the floor. But that doesn't take me any more time than it would someone else to just look at a forward bend as well. It's just you have to if you understand how the journey the joints make, then this is what you'll see. So mm. those assessments are are really cool because I can get someone on the table. And that's not just me. I don't want to sound like I'm a genius here. It's 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 a very simple little process when you understand. But when you start to see a lack of shoulder internal rotation on the right shoulder. And you don't see it on the left shoulder, and I see that in 95 people out of 100, then you have to start to understand that the body is asymmetrical and a lot of those people can't get air into the right side of their chest. So they can't expand the right side of their rib cage. They can't internally rotate their right shoulder. And so this wouldn't lead me to telling someone your rotator cuff is tight because why would... 95 people out of 100's rotator cuff on the right side be right be tight it's actually that they're asymmetrical we're asymmetrical human beings and we struggle to get air for instance into the right chest wall so when we understand all these things you start to movement just becomes a little bit easier to look at then and prescribe movement on top of that the breathing is the foundation Mm -hmm. this is um in terms of exploring the capacity to breathe if you say to someone, um, breathe, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll say, I am breathing. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. But um, for them to explore the, 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 the capacity, they have to, what's called in yoga, is called kambaka, which basically means either, it's like breath retention. So not breathing. Mm-hmm. And people find this easier on the breath in mm-hmm. than on the breath out. Mm-hmm. So what I try to teach them is completely empty your lungs. Yeah. Completely, and then hold it in right and what you'll feel is a moment of panic Mm -hmm. but what we typically do in life is avoid panic Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. but um obviously this has benefits to the nervous system because you're learning how to deal with panic um but also and you know more about this than i do um i assume that the more you breathe out and then you hold it out the more you can breathe in would that be yeah, fair? <laughs> yeah, fair? yeah, yeah. Like to keep it really simple. No, no, it is because if you think of like your glass of water there, if that glass is full, yeah, then or three quarters full, then how much water can you put back in? Mm. Not very little. So, like, how much fresh air can you put into lungs that are already hyperinflated? Not very, li- not very much. Hyperinflated. That's hyperinflated. The, that's a yeah. really great word. So yeah. just to, t- to dig in that to mm-hmm. that, hyperinflated lungs. Um, I am. I'm imagining that this is quite common because mm. people are. Um, shallow breathing they're in a state of anxiety a lot of time you know um, uh, and and you know when you feel like panic you you naturally breathe in don't Mm -hmm. you whereas if you get home for a long day at work you sit down you go yeah your natural instinct is to just to breathe out Mm -hmm. um so when you do that breathing technique with people are they lying down it depends they can be in any position yeah uh it depends on where you're trying to get air into or out of so if you think about if you think about getting into a let me think if you think about getting into like a child's pose position now not and actually tucking your elbows in like so that your hands are not out in front of you underneath your body yeah yeah. underneath your body yeah so what you're probably doing then is actually is actually closing off the front of your body so I'm stopping, like if I tuck my elbows into my chest and my my 
my chest is almost back. My I'm sitting on my heels and my, my chest is tucked in a lot. Then I can't get air into the front of my rib cage or my belly very easily. So air always takes the path of least resistance. So it's probably going to think about going to the back of the body and the sides of the body. So if you think about lying on, if I'm lying on my, if I'm in a side lying position, then that's kind of squishing my rib cage together side to side because mm-hmm. the floor is on one side of my rib cage and gravity is kind of pushing down on the other. So air is going to probably want to go front to back a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So we will call that uh, posterior to anterior expansion or anterior to posterior expansion so front to back expansion versus side to side expansion Hmm. so looking at and you'll see different shapes and in the bodies and stuff what you'll see in a yoga person i would say 99.9 percent of the time someone who's been practicing yoga for a long time is they have a very straight spine their chin is tucked their pelvis has gone forward into an anterior tilt and all of that air that the ribs at the front open up and all of that air goes into the front but the back is completely compressed they can't there is no chance whatsoever they can get air into the back of the rib cage and and if you took a child's pose with your elbows tucked mm-hmm. that would actually open up the upper back a little bit upper back to, yeah compared to yeah and um, getting air into the upper back is relaxation that's like i was saying to you earlier mm-hmm. it is really it's it's uh expansion it's also if you think about center of mass i don't want to get too complicated on it but when we lift and put all air into the front of our body where is the weight going to shift on your feet if you are standing up forward forward and when you start to shift your weight forward what is your brain thinking it's in a black cave Mm. what's it thinking it's going into i'm going to fall over okay yeah yeah. so when i go to when i'm going to fall over what what's going to kick in reflexes in my body to say because falling if you think ten thousand years ago if if i fell in nature like i'm dead meat so Mm. like my brain the two things it's interested in one getting air in so it doesn't care how it gets it in it just wants to stay alive two not falling over if it does those two things it's probably a successful day so the more i breathe into my belly in the front of my body the more the weight starts to shift forward the more um my body and my brain feels like it's falling over and if you even stand up and try and fall over your your body won't let you a leg will come out and catch you so these reflexes are inbuilt into our body they're not even going up to the brain they're short loop reflexes that are hitting the spinal cord and back and and they're they're almost inbuilt into the the muscles so it goes boom 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 like light switches flicking on and if you try and let yourself fall fall over your back muscles will contract like hell because they're trying to pull you back your calves will be on and your toes will be gripping and pushing down into the floor. And what do you see a lot of yoga teachers with? Bunions. Because all the pressure is pushing into the, the toes all of the time because their weight is shifted forward on their feet all of the time. Interesting. Yeah. So, And the more I stretch hamstrings, the, my butt goes up in the air, my weight goes forward. So hamstrings and belly breathing are pushing my weight forward, are contra- is contracting my back, is closing off the back of my ribcage, and is the exact opposite of relaxation. Because relaxation is feeling like I'm not falling over. This isn't a conscious reaction that you can take. It's your brain is saying, you're not falling over. It doesn't matter, I'm not letting you fall over. So it's going to keep your back muscles on all of the time. So mm-hmm. that's why all of these things, like the biomechanics of breathing, I think is the number one thing people could hopefully start to look into a little bit more because I don't have to always breathe into my belly to get a relaxation response. And if I do, yeah, I, like just getting people to focus on their breathing, they're probably going to relax, right? They are like, if you, they're just going to just feel the air coming in and out of your nose, you're going to relax a little bit. So, you know, what would be relaxing is me not needing to sit down and think about my breathing to, to get me to relax. It would be my air coming in and filling up all of my rib cage mm. all of the time without me having to think about it mm. now i'm relaxed all of the time rather than needing to go and think about my breathing for 20 minutes not that that's a bad thing i think everyone should do that every day but that air filling up 360 degrees in and out rib cage starting to pump that's what gets the pelvic floor to pump the diaphragm to, to start to move my internal organs get a massage all of these things so good breathing mechanics is what sets us up for everything so I know that's a bit of a rant. No, no, it's good. It's because if I could take anything away from yoga and I'd advise people the same is learn how to breathe. Yeah. Uh, uh, even if it's very basic. If, if you go up to someone in the street and you say to them, breathe in, they'll typically pull their belly in mm-hmm. as opposed to like 
they'll pull everything in as opposed mm-hmm. to like relax mm-hmm. or um or so let the belly just come out um and you can do the, the best poses ever you can do a great physical class but if you're not breathing it doesn't you you're you're limiting your uh, ability to mm-hmm. affect change um i, I want to just ask you about um frc Mm-hmm. Right, and um, I've started to implement cars, uh, controlled articular rotations into my classes quite a lot. I do some very basic FRC um, stuff, um, but do, is this like? Um, do you see? Is it? Is it like? What's well, I'm going to put this? Is it worth the hype? As in, is it? Because I'm looking to do it, get qualified in it. It's a grand. Mm-hmm. It's a grand it's to do it. Yeah. It's a grand to do a day. I think an afternoon or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I, is it like all it's cracked up to be? I don't, I don't think so. It's, 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 it's <laughs> save myself a grand. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's a very reductionist model of looking at movement. I don't. I sound like I'm really grumpy here. Like I think every, I think everything is great. Like that's yoga's rubbish. I think everything is great. Like, yeah. like just anything that encourages people to move more is brilliant. I just love people to maybe have an understanding of of what they're training and and movement a little bit better but that doesn't mean like i just think all of these things are valuable i just don't want every anything to be put maybe on a pedestal higher than something else because then we start to make a a guru out of one teacher or or one type of training when we know if you look if you look down the street you'll see people moving in all different ways and what works for you might not work for me. Pilates is good for someone. Yoga is good for someone. It's really, I think, what people enjoy the most. Mm. Like, just what do you enjoy? Go for a hike. Go play tennis. Go play golf. Go do yoga. Have a combination of things. So so I think everything works. I think the FRC model is definitely very good, but it is quite reductionist in terms of just move your joint, that one shoulder through its range of motion every day. Like, absolutely brilliant move it through its range of motion every day but what they don't take into account is the position of the bones are starting in the first place so what you'll see is a lot of people lack especially in the, you see the frc they get attracted to frc oh i can't internally rotate my hip okay so they keep trying to do cars and pails and rails and trying to get more internal rotation at their hip what they don't realize is that their hip their femur is already in internal rotation because their pelvis has spilled forward a lot of the time and that my femur naturally moves into internal rotation there. So you can check someone on the bed and say, okay, you have zero internal rotation, but it's because you're already in internal rotation at your hip. It would be like me and you saying, we're going to lie on this side of the room. And then I say, can you go to that side of the room? And you say, well, I'm already here. I can't go there. There's nowhere left for me to go. So you would want to think about getting the joints into some kind of more neutral position. And I'm careful with that neutral word because we don't. it's not that neutral is, is perfect. It's just a nice place to begin my journey from. If I went, If I was in a room, I could stand in the middle of the room. And that means I can go and explore all corners of the room. But if my joint is already in a position, like if I say, put your arm overhead, and then I say, put your arm overhead, you can, you're like, oh, but where am I supposed to go? Mm-hmm. I have to go the other way first. Mm-hmm. So just in the FRC stuff, they, they, they don't take into account the position that the joints are beginning with. So I like to clean up the rib cage and the pelvis first because a lot of our compensations begin from the center of the body. Mm-hmm. So the ribs and the pelvis get put in, pushed into a certain position and they get a little bit stuck there and that biases our shoulders and their hips into certain positions. So just like I said before, like you will see, you can test this on people. Anyone can go and test this on people. People cannot internally rotate their right shoulder. They have no chance most of the time. They can do the left, they can't do the right. So FRC might say, keep doing internal rotation on the right shoulder. But it's because of the position of the rib cage that we fall into that they can't get that in the first place. So now I keep stretching into that position. I'm actually trying to stretch through ligaments that are saying, you shouldn't be going here based on the position of your rib cage. There's actually a bony block that's stopping me from going there. So if we can have an understanding of that first, then we might clean up the position of the rib cage, the position of the pelvis first, and then I can move my joints because I'm starting from a more neutral position in the first place. Does that yeah, make so sense? Yeah, yeah, starting so from it's the good. Middle. It's, it's, everything is good, yeah. but it's just the sequencing of things and just having an understanding of where 
like of of why I would use one tool versus when I might stretch a hamstring versus when I might not. When mm. I might do my cars versus when I might want to clean up the rib cage first. When I might cue someone to belly breed versus oh actually this person just really needs expansion in the back of the rib cage. Mm-hmm. So it's just having an understanding of these things and then you don't have any like this is good or this is bad. It's more like this person needs a little bit more of this. This person needs a little bit more of that. But they are all tools in the toolbox and you can pull them out when you need. Yeah, I think I think as again, like teaching to the general population, my priority is because I started yoga to try and get out of pain, mm-hmm. to, like to or to reduce pain in my body. Um, therefore, I teach that way as well. So I realize the people in my classes are sitting probably too much. Uh, if they are exercising, it may be walking, running, maybe mm-hmm. cycling. So what movements can I do to counter that and also to complement, make them more able to do what they enjoy doing? Mm-hmm. That's that's what I've reduced it down to because yeah. um, if you can do that, you, you realise then that there isn't one right way, mm-hmm. but instead you can borrow. Uh, and I have found the FRC stuff good. I like the principle behind it, mm-hmm. but ultimately... Um, you're trying to teach balance Mm -hmm. Uh, and the thing about say like a a yoga practice what i'll say to students is this is great you're doing all this pushing and stuff but try to incorporate a little bit of pulling Mm -hmm. even just some hanging uh for your shoulders uh whether they do that or not i'm not sure but (laughs) you know because no one really likes at least you said it (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but um so what? So talk to me then before you go about your what's next? Then the upper body stuff is that your next project? Uh, we've, we've a few things in the in the pipeline. So the lower body basics program was quite successful. So we've had nearly six thousand people do it from seventy countries, I think now. Um, so that's been that's been pretty cool, and that's just like I I don't want to sound like I'm promoting it. It's just uh, when COVID hit, I had like a three month waiting list to see clients and. I, because we were already doing a lot of online stuff beforehand and we were kind of just lucky we were in a position to to kind of already be there whereas other people were probably trying to figure it out a little bit how I do it so we released the program it's been it's been huge to be honest people like coaches therapists Olympic athletes professional athletes that are on 10 million dollars a year have been doing it um but they've been buying it for 55 quid, so I'm not too happy with that. <laughs> and like, How about a tip, lads? <laughs> the the, the, uh, the um, England rugby team, England soccer team have been using it, but like one person bought it and gave it to all of them, so that's not great. Um, but uh, yeah, so there needs to be, a, we've done a second version of that, and then we've done a core one. And they're just, it's, it's not like this is the way you need to do things again. I, I'm trying to be, like very clear on that it's just here's some things that i like my clients to be able to do to get their hamstrings to be stronger co-contractions around a knee joint pelvic movement in three planes of motion breathing drills that can expand different parts of the rib cage and compress different parts of the rib cage and it's just if i had an olympic athlete if i had johnny down the street there who just wanted to walk a bit better these are the drills i start them with and there's progressions and regressions so that um that's been very good for us and we've we've hired a couple of physios as well to do online one-on-one sessions then as well but um thinking about starting a platform now at the moment where we start to teach some live classes um Mm. so have some pre-recorded classes that are available and then teach some live classes maybe on zoom two or three days a week so that and uh just generic upper body program are the two that are going to come and what about teaching teachers are you doing more of that yeah that's I, i'm doing a good bit of mentoring one up more kind of one-on-one stuff oh, yeah. um but that's where like i am getting a lot of a lot of that at the moment where people are inquiring about that and i've been saying that for about 12 months that i would put together i did i did when COVID hit first we did a webinar uh which was basically here's how i assess online clients and kind of some of the movements i would use to help treat them and we got 300 physios from around the world so that was the that was the first webinar we did and then we did a knee pain one after that so that was that was our first kind of dipping a toe into the more education space Mm -hmm. and people have been kind of crying out for more but i just want to be careful with that because i just want to make sure it's very like it's delivered very well you know especially you know when you start to teach coaches what they're and they're already like every day people are tagging me using some of the stuff in the programs with their clients which is really really cool to see yeah um but when i come up with a full like 8 10 12 week course or whatever it is 
just want to make sure it's it's bang on you know yeah absolutely well i mean i've learned even just like looking at your stuff online i'm doing the foam roller between the thighs because mm-hmm. like, i'm trying to improve my running mm. running you know the um, hip shift stuff yeah the hip shift stuff yeah. exactly and uh i i think whether you're a teacher or you're a practitioner or hopefully you're both um you know if you're teaching you should be practicing um when you take simple things like that um loads of the hamstring stuff it's especially like you know the one you do where you extend one leg out you put the foot on foam a foam roller, roller <laughs> and you lift up right i do that one in class but without we don't have any equipment so mm-hmm. i just have the heel down and yeah and but simple stuff like that it, it makes you realize wow i can't do a real simple thing mm-hmm. this could be kind of fun to get good at this mm-hmm. and uh to um and I, I i think when you the next day the day after when you feel the differences in your body yeah. and you you're running a bit better you're moving a bit but you can play your kids better that's enough yeah and that's buying like you we were talking earlier about with our clients like buying the the, the most buying comes from someone feeling better and they're like holy shit this stuff works like i'm gonna not miss a class mm-hmm. and like enjoyment yes massively but we can enjoy working hard too and we can enjoy exposing our body to all these different things but buying ultimately from my experience is getting results with people yeah. and they tell all their friends and if you can help someone feel a bit stronger uh, a, yeah a little bit more flexible but just expose them to different things like they lo- they eat it up mm-hmm. so and you can feel really good about yourself and it gives you so many different it opens your own eyes to like yeah like i just I've been I've been teaching yoga for ten years and then I put my foot on a foam roller in this way and do that try and do that bridge and I literally can't hold it for three seconds <laughs> and it just w- when you feel that like you you can't look back because you say I've been missing something here exactly and you just can't look back and when you try and like I've been stretching my hamstrings I've been doing all this external rotation stuff but when I try and get my hips to shift like that they don't shift so it's like <laughs> I have been missing things here. Yeah. And it's not that the other stuff is bad. It's just I just want to plug the gaps and expose my body to different things. And your body will thank you. It loves that. It loves a bit of variability. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, David, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I have to make sure that people, I'm not I'm not grumpy as I sound. <laughs> I, I, I do. I love yoga. I do love yoga. <laughs> but question everything. Question things. Yeah, question things. That's all. And, and look, simple things, simple little tweaks, simple little cues um they make a big difference like, yeah. you know <laughs> brilliant thank you so thank much. you very much that's great this episode was brought to you by move meditate sleep your all-in-one platform to help you move more freely meditate more easily and sleep more soundly with new content added every week if you'd like to try a free seven-day trial click the link in the show notes